The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. This week, we got Halloween coming up, and I know that, that different people in the church have different opinions and ideas about Halloween, and a lot of times we, uh, we tend to think it's, it's the devil's day and we're just going to close ourselves off, and, and there's differing opinions, um, but I feel a call for us to do something that's engaging to our community um, this Halloween. And so Halloween is one of the, it's, okay, the weird thing about Halloween, it's the only day of the year where about 20 to 50 strangers knock on your door and it's okay. Okay. Let <laughs> I me mean, think about it. And, and so here's what I want to do. I, I, I spent some time thinking about this and we put together a little marketing piece and you'll see it on the table out in the lobby and I, they're bundled in groups of 25 and I want us to kind of engage with Halloween a little bit more this year than, than we have in the past. And in the past, we've done these things called Fallapaloozas or Halloween alternatives and you might have been a part of them, is that we, the church, we create a Halloween alternative for you to come up and we do candy and your kids can still dress up. And some of your kids are dressing up like demons anyway. Um, so you come up and we give you candy. But here's what I've noticed over, over time, that the church really looks for ways to insulate herself from our society and from our culture. And, and to that point, what I noticed is that we begin to schedule them not on Halloween, but on times that were most convenient for us. And then on Halloween night, I was still giving candy to your kids. So you're double dipping. It's, it's okay. You're probably going to go to a bunch of trunk or treats. That's fine. And Halloween. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to kind of look at kind of redeeming Halloween a little bit. Because if you believe that's the only day that we need to pray against the devil and the demons, let me, let me wake you up. Because spiritual warfare happens all the time. And I had a thought the other day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step way out on a limb and venture 100% of the kids. I'm, I'm going to go 100%. 100% of the kids that ring your doorbell on, on Halloween night aren't devil worshipers. There might be a couple of demons in there, but and some of their moms said yes and amen. Um, but what an opportunity for us as the church to start to share some love, to start to build some relationship. To, uh, oh man, here's a revolutionary thought, to start to know our neighbors. So here's what I want you to do. I, I want you um, to be out on your driveway. Man, meet your neighbors. If you're in a community group, do it together. Pull the grill from the backyard to the driveway. Grill out as your neighbors come by. Man, greet them and, and welcome them. And then we've got some of these cards that say boo on the front. And, and that's the Holy Ghost, by the way. But... Um, <laughs> just in case you're on the line here. And then it's got some information about the church. And so let me give you some advice. Um, don't be that house that gives out the, the crappy candy, you know, the dots, right? You know, the, the ones that you might as well put a sign on here that says egg me, okay? Don't put my sign on that, okay? Don't, don't put the creek stuff on mediocre candy. Go get some good candy, okay? If, if you can afford it, do a big candy bar. If you can't afford it, get some steel. You can get some good candy bars and, and tape it on there. What a great opportunity because Halloween is so fun. I, I taught my kids so much on Halloween. See, 
it's, it's great for adults because what night of the year, not only do all these strangers knock on your door, but what night of the year, moms and dads, do we get that much candy, you know? And I used to teach my kids how the U.S. economical system works. I'd be like, okay, let's check your candy and see. And as the parents are checking the candy, they're going to see, oh, it's a card. How cute. And at least they'll get some information about a church. And then here's how I taught my kids. Let me teach you how the tax system in the United States works. You've got a lot of candy here. 30% of that is mine now. And my kids are like, but dad, that's not fair. Welcome to being an adult, sweetheart. (laughs) And I'll take the good candy. Here, these dots, you'll love these. (laughs) So do some good candy and let's get to know our neighbors. Who, Who likes some good candy? Oh, I saw your hand first. Boom. And nobody from the first service repeated, did they? Because, you know, God will judge you for that. Okay. <laughs> I, know, I know that people see different, people in the church, Christians, don't see eye to eye on Halloween. And there's a lot of things we don't see eye to eye on. And Halloween is just one of those things. Um, yesterday, I, I sat in a bowl with 105,000 people. And... Uh, they let some people in that place that didn't see eye to eye with me. Um, I had a preference on which team was going to win. I, I went down and saw my little girl, and we got to see a football game and spend some time with her. And honestly, you, if, if you say roll tide, I've got grace on you. I mean, God's still going to smite you later. But if you say that, I've got grace on you because whether to win or lose, I had an incredible day with my daughter. And for me, that was the win. But I, I still, yes, thank you. Um, but they let Alabama people in that place. <laughs> we didn't see eye to eye. I mean, there were plays where they were cheering and I was not. But here's what we can say. We gathered in that place because we love football. And we got to see a great game. And for me, I got to build some great memories with my little girl. And there are times when Christians don't see eye to eye. And Paul's going to start working us through this um, in our applicational building process in this Righteous Life series. So if you've got your Bible, go to Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you, or not ends of the rows. Why do I keep saying that? Um, on the back tables for you. And if you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. Uh, or if you've got a smartphone, you can go to a free application called, free app called Version, And uh, we put our scripture in there and our notes. You, do a, you can do a search under the live tab. And find us. Romans 14. The, the, here, here's what I've got to say. There's some, some presuppositions that we've got to, to lay on the table before we get into this scripture. That we've been building applicationally with Paul since Romans 12. And, and those things start to add on to one another. That Paul talks about you know, this whole idea of being saved by grace. Living as a sacrifice unto God. That his life, you've turned it over. You've turned your life over for his. And that he, call, he gifts us as his kids. He calls us to build up the church and work in unity and faithfully operate in unity. And, and he starts putting these progressions. Last week we talked about there is an 
expectation for us to grow in maturity. That when you have children, you have an expectation that they grow physically, mentally, and then you want to be a part, parents, of growing them spiritually. Our children's ministries are designed to partner with you in growing your kids in that spiritual development. And there's an expectation that you have to grow. Some of y'all are looking at your 24-year-old kid going, I have an expectation for you to grow out of the house. And, and there's an expectation that God places on us when our life is placed in Christ, when we become new, salvation, or new creatures, when we're saved, however the term is, regeneration, transformation, there's an expectation that, that we grow in maturity. And last week we talked about that, in, in that being perfect as our Father is perfect. And that's not perfection in the sense of unattainable standards from the world. It's maturity. It's completeness. It's wholeness. And so what Jesus is saying is just as your father is whole and full, that you are called to be that. Just as your father is complete and not lacking anything in maturity, you are called to that process. You are called to pursue that. There's an expectation that we grow. The reason that's important for me to talk to you right now is as we go into this next section, Paul is starting to deal with how do we handle disagreements among the church? Because since the church gathered, there's been disagreements. There's been things that the church doesn't see eye to eye on. And we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about just issues within the church. In Acts chapter 15, there's this big disagreement that Paul's involved with because these Gentiles are getting saved and then they're like, but they've got to be circumcised. And so there's a, there's, there's a argument that happens around this whole issue. And all the guys are like, I think I'm good. I mean, can you imagine? Well, you've accepted Jesus and there's one more thing we need you to do. Why don't you come with me? We'll make this as quick and painless as we can. Negatory, good buddy. I'll stake my claim somewhere else. So there's an argument about that. And, and then you even fast forward. I mean, we fight about things in church. If, if you grew up kind of in the, the early 80s, uh, you know that there were churches, if you were in church at that time, that you couldn't, there were dancing, you'd go to hell for dancing, you'd go to hell for going to see in certain kind of movies. I mean, there was all kinds of things. And some people were like, no, that ain't right. I don't see that in scripture. I mean, I, I played in a band and, and we played Christian music when I was a teenager. And there was a guy that came to our church on a Sunday night. And he goes, I'm going to talk to you about two things that don't go together. And I'm like, okay, this could be good. He goes, Christian rock and roll. I'm like, I'm out. So we've, we've built these divisive arguments around so many things. And Paul's going to talk to us about how to do this. In Rome, in this church in Rome, there's a division happening over those who had gotten saved out of a Jewish heritage and Jewish uh, culture, and, and theirs was ruled by a strict set of rules. Here are the rules for righteousness. And then there are those that are saved that were Gentiles, and they didn't have anything to do with those rules. And they're, they're just like, okay, I got Jesus. Okay, now what do we do? And so there's some division happening because uh, there's diets and days that are in question that the Jews would look at the, the Gentiles and say, you need to observe these days and, and it's a sin to eat meat and get into this. And, and they're dealing with division over diets and days. And Paul steps in to, to give us some principles on how to address this. Now, for those that look for the rules to address this, you're going to be disappointed. And here's the beauty of grace over law in what Paul's going to go into. 
He gives us principles to then filter, and we've got to think for ourselves, and that's where the maturity comes into play. Now, there are some activities that are clearly wrong because the Bible condemns them. There are some activities that are clearly right because the Bible commands them. But then there's this gray area. And that's where Paul's going to give us some filtering principles to deal with issues in the gray area. I I call the gray area that open-handed. Some call it non-essentials. And and the reality is, is we can disagree on non-essentials or open-handed issues and still maintain unity in the church. We can disagree on whether or not we should turn on the lights and love our neighbors on Halloween or we should turn it off and do something else and boycott the holiday. We can disagree on that but still walk in unity. Yesterday, I saw it with 105,000 people. We disagreed on which team we wanted to win, but we could all walk in unity that we wanted our team to win. Think about it in church. Let me give you an example of these open-handed and closed-handed issues. You know, we talk about, I, I do believe this is the end times and we're living in the end and there's a lot of speculation and a lot of uh, YouTube videos and things that can get you so wrapped around the axle about this stuff, but you start to debate when is Jesus coming back? When is it going to happen? And is it, is it pre-tribulation? Is it post-tribulation? Is it mid-tribulation? Where does it fall in this? And we're in the seven-year spectrum and all this stuff. And we got to put that in the open hand. Here's what we wrap our hands around. Jesus is coming back. You know, what about worship styles? Okay, well, some like contemporary, some like traditional, some like different styles of worship. Let's put that in the open hand and we can discuss that. Let's get our hand wrapped around it. We're to worship Jesus in spirit and truth, that we want to be the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. You know, let, let, let's talk about Jesus for a minute. We've got to get our hand wrapped around Jesus because scripture clearly says of Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So, do many roads lead to heaven? No. So, we've got to start putting our closed hand around the right things and keep our open hand open on the right things. And we've got to agree on that. We can walk in unity. Now, we can, we can disagree about, about non-essentials and, and still walk in unity over the closed-handed issues. And, and Paul starts to give us these principles, and I love it because it goes beyond legalism and adherence to rules. He says, you need to think. You need to be able to filter. You need to be able to, to process where this is. I, you know, some people think that when you give your life to Christ that you just, you, you lose your mind, that, that okay, now you just got to be brainwashed. I, I love that Jesus calls us to use and engage our intellect to be able to process and filter these things. That's the beauty of grace over law. Yes, it's a little more frustrating for rule people. For those of you who like, give me the list, and I want to do this. I don't want any gray area. I want it black and white, and I'll just walk this line, and I'll do what I got to do, and just keep on it. But for you, this is frustrating. But you're called to maturity. You're called to engage in this process. For those of you that, that are like, I hate rules and I just want to do what I want, this is going to be frustrating because it's going to cause you to call your actions into question. 
And so we, we, let's, let's get into this. This is probably the longest intro you'll ever have me give you. Um, Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So what Paul is answering here in these these filtering questions, it's getting to the heart of the matter of what's good versus best, okay? This is what the maturity. Remember, it's not, is this right or wrong? But now we're at a point of, is it good or is it the best thing for my life? And what Paul's saying in this first section is the filtering question is to ask ourselves, am I doing this from emotion or conviction? Because you've got people in the church that Paul's explaining here is that they are calling out others and saying, you're sinning because you're eating meat. Or you're sinning because you're not making this day holy. Yeah, I, 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 I remember thinking that if I wasn't in church on Sundays, I was going to hell. And God's like, look, are you doing this for me? Are you doing this for you? What's your conviction here? I'm at church every week because I love being with my body. I love being with you. I love walking in you. I love, I love the encouragement I receive. I love giving the encouragement. And he's, Paul's saying you got to work from convictions, not emotions. There, there was one man that I heard speak about this, that our body is made of emotions, our physical body, and then our spiritual body. And he talked about the emotions that we experience, that the emotions are the most shallow part of who we are. I can explain that to you because I can be very happy when I get in the car, and once I get to 35, I can be very unhappy. I can swing very quickly on my emotions. Yesterday, I could be very happy on one play and very not happy on another play. My, our emotions go all over the page. They, they, they swing back and forth and they ping all over the place. And we so much want God to do something in our emotions. And God says, I, I work in the deep. I work in the depths of who you are. Our spiritual side is eternal. That is the deepest part of who we are. And so God says, why do you want me to do my deepest work in your most shallow part? God does his work in our spirit, which draws those convictions. How do we get those convictions? It is time diligently studying his word and praying it through. The cause is to maturity. Because see, this isn't a list. Paul's not going to give us a list on, on here's what you say to those who want to eat meat and those who don't want to eat meat. Or here's what you say to those who want to observe this day or this day. He's like, they're doing this unto the Lord. They're doing this from a conviction. See, this word is a love letter from our Father. And it reveals his character. And as I grow in his character, I begin to filter and make decisions from his character, from that uh, that depth of conviction in my life. 
And I want his conviction, not my emotions. Okay, let's take one of those open-handed issues. Alcohol is a big issue in the church. You know, and you've got Christians that say, it's a sin to drink. And you've got some that say, no, it's a sin to get drunk. It is a sin to get drunk. And so we start to build our arguments. Let me tell you what scripture says. It's a sin to get drunk. So you got to put alcohol in the open hand. Now, let me tell you, you've got to work from conviction, not emotion. Because if you work from emotion on alcohol, one country song and you're trashed, baby. You've got to work from conviction, and that conviction is where God reveals you may have a tendency to addiction. That might be what you're going to to cope instead of letting the comfort of the Holy Spirit bring you the peace and comfort. And it's got to be from a conviction because if you're, if you're counting on your emotional state to carry forward your sobriety, you're on dangerous ground. If you're abusing the freedom, see, we polarize so many things and and I think this is the same way. If you grew up in a very legalistic household or, or church, then as soon as you break free from that, so, so legalistic Christians, when they hear this and, and rules don't always equal maturity in faith. Don't associate it. Oh, that person's got a strict set of rules in their life. They must be mature. Don't, you can't associate that way. But here's what I see. Those who grew up in the strict set of rules, when they hear, hey, Jesus brings freedom, and, and, and then Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are good, then what happens is they start to slide over to this, this licentious lifestyle where I have, I don't have under, I'm not under the bondage of legalism. I've got license to do whatever I want because God's covered it all and I can live the way I want to live. And so they just swing that pendulum. That's the emotional swing. Okay, God calls us to live in the middle, in the balance, okay? Under conviction, and then you've got a filter. Okay, it's not what's best for that person. God, what is best for me? God, what are you calling me to? As I search your word and I spend time in prayer with you, what is the convictions that you're drawing out in my life that I am called to live my life unto you for your glory. And then Paul says, there, there's stronger ones and there's weaker ones. The stronger, aren't, the more mature, aren't supposed to despise the immature for their immaturity. You've got kids that are immature. You don't hate your kids for that immaturity. If you do, our prayer team is gonna be right up here at the end of the service and we need to be praying something else, Okay. What do you do when you see that immaturity in your children? You start to train them in it. You walk with them in that lack of maturity so they gain the maturity. I believe our church should be broken down into three segments. I believe we should have a third of our congregation, a third of our church that are strong, spiritually mature believers. And then I believe a third of them should be walking around like they're in diapers, like, I mean, sucking their thumbs, baby Christians. Man, I, don't, I didn't know that was wrong. And then I think a third should not even know Jesus at all. They're not even born yet. And they're just, I'm, I don't know Jesus at all. I'm just here because I love people. You got good coffee. I think that's a healthy breakdown in the church. And then those who are more mature can't despise those because they're lacking. What do they do? They start to bring them up. That's the process of creating and building disciples. And then those who are immature can't look at those who are more mature and go, oh, well, they got that liberty. Uh, I, don't, I don't like that. 
Why is it that that mature person can choose to do this, but, I, but if I do it, it, it falls into sin? You, you see what I'm saying? We can't start judging and get each other off of our liberties or our maturity. And we've got to understand that God has received both in Jesus Christ. And our lives are directed by him and for him, and God is the master. Paul said that, that God is the master, we are the servant. He says, so don't get involved in that relationship. It's kind of like when your parents are disciplining you when you were growing up and you have a sibling that wants to start adding charges to it, you know? <laughs> you just want to, look, I'll take an extra punishment if I could punch them in the face right now, okay? Can I prepay this one? I am so grateful that the success of my Christian life does not depend on anyone's opinion but God's. Because we will always have opinions. Where you have people, you have opinions. And God says, I'm the judge of that. I'm the judge of that. Don't get involved in that relationship. So let's go on. Verse six. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So the, the first thing is, is where does this come from? What, what's the root of these uh, these actions? The next one is, who am I doing it for? Am I doing this for God? I mean, we start to filter, okay, if I'm going to, take example, the Roman church, if I'm going to abstain from eating meat, am I doing this for the glory of God? If I'm going to observe this day as holy, am I doing this for the glory of God? So we start to filter in our life, if I'm going to do this action, am I doing this for the glory of God? I mean, that's, that, that begins to filter the way we do them because everything we do, we do for someone. We either do them for ourselves, someone else, or for God. There's a story um, of David, King David, greatest king in the, in the history of Israel, second king of Israel. Um, and, and there's, it's in the second Samuel chapter six, the ark of the covenant. The ark of the Lord is being brought into Jerusalem. And David is worshiping before the ark. He is dancing. And, and in scripture, it says, it says that he's wearing a linen ephod. Let me translate that for you. He is in his drawers. Okay. He is in the box. I don't know if he's a boxer or a brief guy, but he was in his, he is in his skivvies, man. And he is dancing before the ark of the covenant, before the presence of God. And, and he's just, I mean, he, he doesn't care what other people are thinking. And his wife is, is watching from a window, and she's like, he is stupid. <laughs> I don't know if you'll find any translation that says that, but that's, you, I can read the mind sometimes of a woman. Like when I'm doing something stupid, I can tell what Heather's thinking. That is stupid. <laughs> and so she's watching, and she's like, that's stupid. He comes in, and she's like, oh, that was stupid. You did that in front of all the people you lead. You did that in front of the female servants of the people you lead. And he said, listen, woman, I did this before the Lord. 
and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. What he's saying is, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Next week when we worship, keep your clothes on, okay? (laughs) You know, they tell you in public speaking to picture the people in their underwear. I don't do that. I don't even want to picture myself. You're welcome very much. I, you know, closed-handed, okay, worship, clothes stay on during worship, okay? <laughs> Publicly. If you're with your wife, hey, hey just saying. <laughs> Private. <laughs> Get to the root of who you're trying to please. I mean, Paul said in Galatians 1, he says, if I, am I seeking your approval or God's? Because if I'm trying to please you, then I can't serve Christ, because I'm too busy serving your interests. And Paul says, I would rather serve Christ than your interest. Because when I serve Christ, your interests get handled. You see, the, you see how that breaks down? You see, we, we, we do what we do for either ourselves, someone else, or for God. And we are called to be God pleasers in everything we do. Selfishness and people pleasing will never fulfill you. All of the things that you do for yourself trying to fill a void will never fulfill you. Yesterday, my mind goes in weird places, okay? We're, I mean, like, we're at the top of the stadium. They might as well Velcroed us to the very top. Or that's how we're looking down. And I look down at the people in the front, the, the lower section. I was like, man, if only I could get down there. You know what? If I would have gotten down there, I still left the game disappointed. They still lost. The things we do and dream of for ourselves, if they're not done for God, will leave us disappointed. The things we do for others, thinking it's going to bring fulfillment to us, will leave disappointed. It's only in God that we find that true fulfillment. Let's go on, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the scariest one that I can think of is will it stand in the judgment? Will it last? You know what's scary? I will stand before, actually I won't stand. I will kneel before God because in his presence, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. And we will confess and give an account for everything we've done. Let me break it down this way. I will kneel before God, and I will give an account for everything I have done. You will give an account for everything you have done. You will not give an account for what I have done, and I will not give an account for what you have done. And Paul's saying, with this been the case... Stop trying to be an attorney for the, a, a, a prosecuting attorney for the person that you're, you're, you're brothers and sisters with before the throne of God. It's will it last? Will it stand up in the judgment of God? And, and, and every person will face judgment. There are two judgments. You know, I, I want to help you understand scripture. There are two judgments that we face. The first one is spoken of in, in Revelation 20, 15. It's called the great white throne judgment. And in this great white throne judgment, every person will be brought before the presence of God, will be brought in front of God's face. And 
person will be judged on their, on, on their life. And, and it ends in Revelation 20, 15, when he says, if your name is not found written in the book of life, they're thrown in the lake of fire. So this is kind of the in or out judgment. Are you in Christ or not? Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way our name is written in that book is through the blood of the Lamb, through our humbling of ourselves and laying ourselves out to him and saying, here I am, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, forgive me. I wanna trade my messed up life for yours. That's an in or out. Those who are in that book of life we are going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. Some of you have heard this referred to as the Bema seat. Bema is Greek for judgment. So we're called up before God and we'll give an account of everything we've done. And Paul says that in this is where we will receive our reward. Now, this isn't an in or out thing. Remember, we're in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. So this isn't a condemnation of our sins, but what he's doing is he's going to look at, did you do the good or the best? And Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3 is this. He's like, it's like a foundation was laid and I am building on other people's work. I'm building on that foundation. And we've got to be careful on how we build because on this foundation, we can build with wood, and build with precious materials. And he said, what's going to happen is in that day, in that judgment, every person's work is going to be exposed and it's going to be tested by fire. So some of our actions that when we're, when we're in that Bema seat judgment, some of our actions are going to be burned up and thrown, they, they, they will not last. And then some of those are made from precious materials and those will last. And he says, some of you will be saved, but only as though by fire. Here's what that means. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You're, you're in heaven. You're, you made the cut but you've got nothing to show for it. Here's where the maturity steps in. It should not be okay for a Christ follower to say, I'm in, I don't have to do anything else. We're called to maturity. And the filter is this. When I think, will it last? Am I feeding the fire or am I building with what's precious? When I face, and I don't get this right every time. I'm telling you, I struggle probably more than any, any person because I know I'm saved by grace and I know I'm in, but I struggle with behaviors. I struggle with my actions. <clears throat> and I have to filter. And sometimes God's even telling me, he's like, look, son, man, you just threw wood on the fire. Like you can build with that, but it ain't gonna work. And then there's times God says, man, that's going to be a precious, precious wall that you put on that foundation. And I don't get it right, and you won't get it right every time. But we need to be quick to conviction and repentance so that God can restore us. 
because the question is, is this good or bad? No, God, what is the best? And how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare for that judgment seat? It's first making Jesus your Lord and Savior. We, we, we can't stop at Savior, but Lord. Don't just give him your, your sin and your life and all of that. Let him rule and reign over your life. This is a great thing because we're able to engage our intellect. It's a freedom from a list. It's a freedom from legalism and the ability to grow in Christ and grow in his wisdom and grow in intellect and to be able to filter to do the best things for his kingdom, the best things for him. And we're gonna have as many opinions on that as we do people. But we've gotta rally around the unity of this. Don't let the enemy divide us on open-handed issues. You need to understand the enemy wants this. He wants to divide us. He wants to steal from us. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy anything we can do. So the enemy wants to destroy us from building anything precious on that foundation. And it's up to us to say, no, we're not going to let you do that. We're not going to let you do that. And so we've got to pray some dangerous prayers. Some of you need to pray, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. And today may be the day that he's calling you to that life. Some of you, myself included, need to be praying this. God, search my heart. Reveal the motive of why I do the things I do. And then begin to help me filter if this is going to stand up in the last days or not. And God, if there's any sin in my life, if there's bad, let's deal with that. But God, help me move from good to best. And here's the only way that happens. It's through a renewed mind, a transformed heart, and living our lives in the fullness of the Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit is alive and working in us, we have the greatest filter that we can have. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I thank you that you've called us to life. And I thank you that you've called us to growth. And, and Lord, as we grow... Uh, I'm grateful that you trust us with the decisions, that you just don't put us out as mindless beings, but you give us opinions and you give us thoughts and you give us the ability to think and process. And so I pray for your wisdom in this. God, I pray for your unity in this because I know that when we don't walk in unity, we walk in dysfunction. Help us to disagree about things, but maintain unity in Christ. And Father, I pray for those in this room that, that maybe it's that first step and that, that they, they need a relationship with you, Jesus, that, that you died for them and you can only, only you can bring forgiveness for their sin. And so I pray, Father, that you give them the courage to reach out to you, to say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and my Savior. I pray that you give them the courage to step forward to these altars with our prayer team and say, I, I, need, I need to start a life. God, for some in this room, I pray you give us courage. I, 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 me in this, God. Give us courage to pray the bold prayers, saying, God, search my heart, reveal motives, reveal sin. Because every one of us in this room have things we need to stop doing. And we have things we need to start doing. And so I pray for the depth 
of conviction to come from your word and your heart on what those things are and how to do them. God, even knowing that we give an account of everything to you, we still say, even so come. Because we know there's no condemnation for us. And Father, I pray that we are motivated to build with precious materials. For you, our Savior, for you, our perfect Father, help us. Help us to filter through these this week and as we grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.